Hi, this is Caden, and this is my daddy's podcast called Lasting Learning. Welcome to Lasting Learning, the podcast that was started because I thought I had things to say. The podcast that continues to grow because we've learned that your stories matter more. Welcome to Lasting Learning, where we explore great people doing extraordinary things, sharing with us the lasting lessons they've learned along the way. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Lasting Learning Podcast. We all know how this works. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know that each episode, I try to bring you somebody who is making an impact in my life or others' lives, somebody that has gone through some sort of change or transformation and given us a lesson that we can all take into our own worlds. And today is no exception. Typically, though, I bring a guest on who I am just starting to meet, and I selfishly use the podcast as an opportunity to to dig into them a little bit, figure out who they are, what makes them tick, and oftentimes it's just a selfish ploy on my part to have a conversation that I might not be able to have otherwise. Today is a little bit different though, because today I get to bring to you a friend of mine, somebody that I've known now for, I think two and a half, three years, maybe even longer than that. I don't know. We met a little small town in Arkansas, uh, but he is now living life in the big city up in the New York area. I'm hanging out on the Gulf Coast in Florida, but he is doing some incredible things to try to amplify student engagement in classrooms. It's an opportunity for us to, to talk about the work that he's doing to help us get to know our kids, to get to know each other, to get to know ourselves. So in our conversation today, yeah, you're going to get to know my friend a little bit. You're also going to get to know what he does and why it's so important and how we can use that to get to know those that you work with and those that you work for. So welcome, my friend, Moshe, to the show today. Moshe, thanks so much for being here today, buddy. Dave, thank you so much for having me. It's always great to talk to you and now to speak on a platform even better. Oh, this is going to be fun. You know, it's just two guys hanging out, having a conversation about life and work and the things that we're passionate about and bringing in several thousand people to the conversation. So if you are listening in, just act like a voyeur listening in on the conversation and we'll just have some fun. Pull up a chair, make yourself comfortable. There you go. There you go. So let's just take a minute real quick and, and unpack this a little bit. Let people know who you are, what you're doing, living the big city life and what brought you here today. So... I started this journey actually as a social worker. I am a licensed clinical social worker in New York, New York State, and I have a practice here. I'm practicing for about 15 years. And when I started, I started working in schools. So working with kids, working with teachers, working with parents. And a big piece for me was the collaboration. You know, I get to spend unique time with kids, half hour, sometimes 40 minutes, sometimes an hour, one-on-one with a kid week after week and really get to unpack what their school experience is like. And it wasn't so surprising because I was a kid in school one day and, you know, it's a lot of the same similar stuff, but as a social worker, listening to these kids' stories and then going to the teachers and trying to figure out something that could be useful, help, help these kids, I started to notice discrepancies 
the teachers were not seeing the same stories that the kids were telling me. And they don't have the time or the resources to sit there and just hear these kids talk. And kids often talk in code, right? They don't always say exactly what they want to say. They're kids. They're trying to figure it out. You know, like I remember having a conversation once with a teacher asking me, like, how can you trust this kid? This kid lies to me. I said, it's true. The kid does lie to you. But have you ever been pulled over speeding or talking on a cell phone or not having your seatbelt on or something like that, right? And the cop pulls you over and says, do you know why I pulled you over? Do you tell him the truth? Or do you tell him what you think is going to get you out of trouble, right? So this kid is doing the same thing. You've got to make them comfortable. You've got to make them feel safe, feel trusted, and they're much more likely to be honest with you. So there were a lot of different problems, you know, going on that I was addressing on a level that the teachers could not. I'd sit in on teacher-parent conferences, and this was a very, very common thing. You know, teachers talk a tough talk amongst their peers. You know, and that's great. But once you put a teacher in a room with a parent, you know, I've, I've developed this saying, no one's ever gone into education because they love working with parents, <laughs> right? That is nobody's favorite activity. Parents come in nervous to talk to teachers. I had, and I had, had the same experience talking to parents, you know, they don't, this complaint, that complaint about the teacher, then they get in the room together and everybody becomes timid. Everybody becomes afraid of one another. And I'm just the guy in the room who's trying to bring everyone together like that. That was my role most of the time. And a teacher would muster up the courage to share with a parent their, their child's struggle. And typically the parent's response would be, oh, well, we had a really late night the night before. And that's why she was tired. And that's where that behavior was coming from. Completely missing the point that this is just an anecdote of a representation of something that happens all the time, right? And teachers are not really trained to talk to parents. You know, we, we, we just don't give them that, that kind of support, that kind of training. So they get awkward and they feel insecure. And, and how do you support that without alienating the parents? And sometimes the principal had the good fortune of being in the room too. And that's a nightmare for a principal if there ever was one, right? Balancing all that stuff, all these different things going on. And I'm finding that I'm able to bring these people together. I'm, I'm able to unify them. I'm able to be empathetic to both sides, help them understand the bigger picture. And it's the greatest feeling in the world. Hmm. There's just nothing like being in a room of people who are afraid of each other for an hour. And then afterwards, everybody walking out with this great sense of relief. And it was amazing. And after about a year of doing this, I started putting together some thoughts of recurring themes. Like what are the common things, themes that are constantly coming up? And I put together a couple of presentations and I presented it to the teachers, you know, that I was working with and the schools that I was working with and the, you know, with the kid of the kids that I was working with. And, you know, there was a lot of buy-in to that. We had various groups of teachers getting together, collaborative groups from different schools teaching different ages, just sharing ideas, because everybody comes into education with a passion. Now, how long that passion lasts is a different story, and maybe we'll talk about that, but everybody starts off with a passion, and if you give them the space, if you give them the opportunity to share that passion, amazing creativity comes from that, and the passion inspires those around them, mm -hmm. and it was really, really an amazing experience, and 
I kept thinking to myself, you know, okay, so I started out working privately one-on-one with kids, with teachers, turned it into a presentation for teachers, turned it into group support for teachers. What's the next step? How can we take this to the next level? And there were certain basic principles that were really, really important to me. And, you know, one of them was the relationship because everybody knows that the teacher-student relationship is so important, but it's so ambiguous. How do you get a handle on that? How does a teacher who's teaching a class of, let's say, 20 kids, right? Forget about classes of 30 kids or classes of five kids because there are challenges to both of those. But let's just say, you know, a nice size class. I think, you know, most people agree 20 kids is a very nice size classroom. How does a teacher know how their relationship is with each and every kid in the class? Because inevitably there is a kid in the class that feels, and they, they, these kids have told me this, they feel like the teachers hate them. And I'd go back to the teachers and I'd be saying, you know, this child thinks you hate them. And the teacher would look at me like, I, like, why? What did I do? What did I say? Right? It's this, so it's, um, this, this is one of the reasons that I like talking to you. Number one is because you've got so much wisdom, but your conversations about other people cause me to pause and reflect on my own life. So if I can just interject real quickly sure. for those people that might be listening, if you're, if you're not a teacher or, or an educator, I've worn many professional hats in my career. I've been a teacher. I've been a, a building administrator, district administrator, professor, speaker, consultant, all the things, and get to host a podcast and talk to cool people like you. But there are days like today where I feel like I am metaphorically and literally wearing multiple hats. So I have a high school senior right now, and I'm going through all the emotions of having a high school senior where, you know, 17 years ago, I couldn't wait until he was independent and stopped pulling on my pant leg all day saying, daddy, I need you. And now I'm going through that process where I'm thinking, man, just tell me that you need me again because he's pushing me an arm's length away. At the same time, as I'm a parent craving attention from him, it feels like he doesn't want my attention, but I know he does because he made a statement to me just this morning. And his statement was, the only time you ever want to talk to me is when you want to tell me to do something. Just, Just be or don't be. I was like, just be or don't be. What does that mean? But you're hitting it for me right now. Like it's just making it click. He doesn't want me to be a teacher or an administrator leading him. He just wants me to be, he wants me to be in his presence. Just remember who he is as a person, just connect with him as an individual and not always telling him about his homework and his schoolwork and his work work and like all the things he just wants to connect. He wants to be seen as a kid, not just my kid. And I'm like, Ooh, now you magnify that. I've got four kids, but you're now talking about teachers in their classrooms going through that same experience with 20 kids, or if they're a secondary te- teacher, 20 kids, six hours a day, right? Having to connect with each kid over and over and over again. So each kid feels seen, appreciated, and known. I can't even imagine, but you've got the solution for it, you're, telling, you're telling me. Right. So, so here's what happened, right? And it really started even way back years ago. I can't even remember when this happened, but I had been enamored by Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink. Mm. I was enamored by this book. The first chapter, which I believe is called The Theory of Thin Slices or something like that. He brings a story. Do you have the book? Are you, are you I, I do. I'm looking on my shelf right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go grab it in just a second here. Okay. Chapter one is about a fellow named John Gottman. This was my first introduction to John Gottman. I recently had the great honor and pleasure of meeting him in person. He did a two-day uh, seminar uh, locally here in New York, Long Island. 
and I got to spend some time with him and hear a lot of his wisdom. But Malcolm Gladwell is writing about John Gottman's unique ability to watch a couple argue for three minutes and with over 90% accuracy predict if that couple will still be together in 10 years. Okay. Now, this was so fascinating to me because if you can watch something, if you can get a thin slice of something like that and be able to predict something that is so complex and so rich and so profound, like, wow, that's, that's just, mm -hmm. that's phenomenal. Right. And I started thinking about that. Now, how does he do it? I'll share with you how he does it. They simply count. It's so simple. It's amazing. They count the number of compliments and criticisms that are given during this three-minute argument. Okay. Now, what they have found, and they've been studying this for, if not 50 years, close to it. They have found that couples in a strong relationship that will last more than 10 years, even when they argue, give five compliments to every criticism. Hmm. Okay. Five compliments. Now, I, when I tell this to people, you know, to married people, people in relationships, they're like, oh, no, I don't do that. Madam, I don't have any hope for, for lasting 10 years or longer. But the thing is, you don't realize that you're doing it. You know, when you're in a good relationship, it's, it's second nature. It's not even thought through. It's just your care and concern for the other person. You don't want to come down too hard on them. So you always want to buffer your language with them, your interactions with them. Now, the ratio of couples that were not going to survive were drastically different, 0.8 to 1, 0.8 mm. compliments. So one-to-one -one compliments to criticisms is pretty close to divorce, mm. right? So we think we're being balanced, we're being even, I'm giving a compliment for every criticism, not nearly enough, not nearly enough. You need five compliments to every criticism to have that strong ratio. Now, there's, there's other research on other ratios. You know, I've come across three-to-one compliments to criticism. I've come across seven to one compliments to criticism. I think PBIS focuses on a four to one compliments to criticism. So there are various different ratios that are important, but this one really jumped out at me. And in those early years of my career of working in the school, excuse me, working in the schools, I started to think about how that plays out in a classroom environment. And so especially- me, I want to ask a question real quick, and maybe you don't have the answer to this, but it's a- the, the statistics geek in me is 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 pulling and I got to respond to it, right? It's this correlation causation. It's easy to give compliments to somebody that you like, right? It would be easy for somebody to say, yeah, well, those people are going to last and they're giving compliments because they actually enjoy each other. And maybe the people that are criticizing each other wouldn't have lasted. And that's why they're criticizing each other. It's hard to, to give compliments, even in the midst of displeasure or disunion. You know, I'm thinking about with, relationship with adult to adult or even adult to kid. It's easy to give compliments to those kids that I like. It's easy to give compliments to my friends. It's a whole lot harder to go give compliments to the grumpy neighbor next door or to that kid that's constantly rolling his eyes and sighing. Are you, is there any truth to sometimes you just got to fake it till you make it? You got to just dig deep and find a compliment or is there, can, it, can you just be real? And if you don't like someone, just let them know. Well, you definitely can, but that reminds me of, you know, there's this famous, well-known story, The Wizard of Oz, right? And if you walk up to anybody and you ask them, who is the villain of The Wizard of Oz? Right? Yeah, Dave, it, it depends on if, of... well, it depends on if you've seen Wicked. Um, so it... <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There you go. There you go. So if you've seen the Broadway show Wicked, you know a very different perspective 
of the Wicked Witch of the West. Yeah. Right. And that's the bottom line. When you start out your year, you don't know these kids. Mm. Okay. If you're watching The Wizard of Oz, yes, you will see the villain. But if you have a different type of interaction with the very same person, you're going to meet an entirely different person. And that's why it's so important to make sure that you do what you can do. And another thing that I've come to find myself saying often is that anytime an adult is in conflict with a child, the adult is the loser. Mm. Because as the adult, you, you can control that environment. You can control that interaction. You can proactively make sure that your interactions with a particular child is more positive than it is negative. Mm -hmm. And if you know that a five to one ratio or even a three to one ratio, or even let's just stay out of negative territory, let's just not allow that more of my interactions with any child in my classroom should be negative than positive. Let's just not allow that. Mm. As negative as I need to be, offset that. Offset mm. that with positive feedback. And if you have that in mind from the get-go, it's so much easier. And if you have a tool to track it that helps you know who needs that, it makes it so much easier. And what I realized is that teachers whose kids felt they had a bad relationship, number one, they didn't even know. Most of the mm -hmm. time, they didn't even know. Number two, they didn't even know what to do. Like they, they thought that they would need to treat them to something or like bribe them or reward them. And it was just to your point, you know, to your son's point, they just wanted them to be. Yeah. Just don't see me as, as evil. Like just don't see me as the problem of the class. And so that ratio, and again, to, to what I was about to say, was how does that play out in the classroom? The kids who are struggling are getting way more negative than positive, right? We're not even tracking positive interaction unless it's some reward system. Hmm. And that leaves all of those kids who are not earning the rewards vulnerable to being portrayed as the Wicked Witch of the West. Ooh. That's powerful. That's powerful. And you're spot on. You know, we, we, we've got to be the adults in the room with every interaction. Otherwise, we're just perpetuating what's already there. And our job is to go in and change destinies. You're, you're reminding me, six or seven years ago, I had my first viral moment with social media where I was talking to a buddy of mine. I don't know if you've met Brian Mindler or not, but he does a lot of work with positive behavior and student support. And we were talking and I mentioned to him how in my school, we were changing the data that we were tracking. And instead of chasing uh, academic proficiency scores, which was a byproduct that we that ultimately mattered. Instead, every day I was expecting my teachers to have 50 hugs or 50 fist bumps with 50 different kids. And I would just go up to kids in the hall and ask if they had been interacted with throughout the day to try to track it. But I had no mechanism to actually track if that was happening. And my goal was simply we were in a turnaround school. Where we, we were serving an underserved population where these kids, 40% of them had a parent in jail, where they all lived in housing projects. And they just wanted to be seen as kids still. So we changed it and said, that's the number we're going to track. But again, it was just, it was me fictitiously walking around with a clipboard saying, does everybody feel seen? Does everybody feel like they're valued? But I guarantee there were kids that were slipping through the cracks. I guarantee there were kids that weren't kids. I guarantee there were some teachers that were going up and giving the same fist bumps to the same hugs to the same kids every single day because they had natural relationships with those kids. They were kids that they felt connected to. And then there were other kids that were probably just walking down the hall unseen. And looking back on it now, seven, eight years later, I'm like, oh, 
what happened to those kids? I wonder, I wish, I wish I could have come up with a better system to track it and truly measure and make sure that every single kid was being seen. Enter you and your magic and the magic I wish I would have known about a decade ago. So what what is this magical formula that you've got? You're saying you've got the solution to this? So so here's so here's the thing. You know, I don't want to be so bold to say that we've got the solution to everything. I learned that from a friend of mine. You know, you gotta you know address problems with humility. People are a lot more willing to work with you that way. But one day I was on a train, New York City subway system, and you know how people are, you know, very tightly packed on the train. And I was standing really, really close to someone who was sitting playing subway surfer popular you know smartphone game right which i had played many many times i'm not that good at it but it's kind of addictive and i'm watching how with incredible precision this person is swiping up and down and right and left to avoid the different obstacles with incredible to the millisecond incredible precision and I'm thinking if we had something as simple as that, that can help teachers identify the kids who are at risk of being invisible. If we had a tool that was as simple to use as that, that could help teachers identify kids who are actually making progress, but their progress is invisible. And we could talk a little bit more about that. It would change everything. It would change everything because everybody knows that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Everybody knows that we're not catching problems early enough in education. You know, there there is data around attendance that kids that miss 10% of school time in kindergarten are, I think, something like 50% less likely to be able to read at grade level in third grade. And kids that can't read at grade level at third grade are set up for failure. It's a disaster. Hmm. And you talk about dropout, kids dropping out of school. That doesn't start until middle school. But the problems, the seeds that are planted to cause that are not planted in middle school. They're planted in earlier years. And we have no idea how to respond to that in a timely fashion. It's like we're waiting for people to drop dead and then we'll autopsy them and figure out why they died. It's too late by that point. We need preventative care and education. We need to be able to identify problems early. And when you realize, when you realize that the solution is caring teachers, teachers who make connections with kids because every person that you talk to, every biography that has ever been written has at least a page on the teacher that made a difference in the life of that person. Every person you talk to in the world will tell you that they had a teacher that made a difference in their life. And imagine, and I just was actually watching a a panel discussion with Elon Musk on the future of AI. And someone on that panel, I forgot his name, said, imagine if you can have more than one teacher like that. How would that change things? Imagine if every teacher could be like that. Well, of course not if you don't have the right tools to measure what you're doing. And of course not if you're underestimating the value that your presence brings to the classroom, right? I love what your son told you. He just wants your presence. He doesn't want your guidance even necessarily. Mm -hmm. You know, of course he needs it from time to time, but they just want the presence. They just want to be acknowledged. They just want to be seen. 
So we created a tool, Class Stars, that has, you know, what we, and we keep refining it, the simplest user interface. It basically works like Subway Surfer. You swipe up, down, right, and left. And because it's so simple, it allows you to use it in real time. So you're actually recording interactions that you're having with your students as you're having them. So let's start off, for example, with misbehavior. Now, another interesting book that I had read was Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. And he talks about cognitive traps, heuristics, right? And he's got a bunch of these different examples where like, you think you know the answer, but you don't. And he actually gave a TED talk once where they did this study on, they wanted to know how painful colonoscopies were, you know, back in the day, you know, when it was even more painful than it is today. And they basically took two groups. And in one group, they, they had these patients, you know, monitoring their pain on a 10 point scale every minute, you know, so that's how they would measure the pain. And in one group, they just did the basic colonoscopy and that was it. In the second group, when they were done with the colonoscopy, they didn't tell the patient that it was done. They just left the instruments in place. So it was a much more mild pain. It was just a mild discomfort, but it extended the experience. And he shows, you can check out this, this TED talk. He's got it plotted out on a, on a graph. And in addition to asking the patients to rate their pain every minute, he asked them to rate the overall experience. Okay, now if you were measuring this objectively, the overall experience, and group A is just a regular colonoscopy, group B is the same colonoscopy, but then a somewhat less painful experience attached to the end. The overall experience objectively of the second group is worse than the first group because the second group got everything that the first group got and then some. But they didn't report it that way. The people in the first group reported a much worse overall experience than the second group because their ending was much more intense. Because the second group's ending was much more mild, their memory of the experience was much more mild. Okay, and this is a conflict between experience and memory. And how many times have we had where we talk with teachers and I'm not blaming teachers because our brains are wired this way. You gotta understand this is not a deficiency in a particular individual. This is the hard wiring of our brains where a teacher says, this kid's just not making any progress. I remember coming to a school one day and I met the principal at the door and he said, you better go to my office because Johnny is there and he's crying hysterically. And he needs you. He's waiting for you to come. And I come into to the room and he's there, literally his face is red, tears running down his eyes. He's in fifth grade, I think at the time. And I said, what happened? He said, I blew it. I said, what do you mean you blew it? He said, I got sent to the principal's office. Now, Johnny was a kid who was sent to the principal's office, if not every day, every other day for, for weeks and weeks, months and months. Okay. I started working with him and it took a a good couple of weeks, but we were cutting it back. And at this point, he hadn't been sent to the principal's office for an entire week. And it happened that day that he woke up in a bad mood and it was back to the old Johnny. And when he came to school, he wasn't himself. He, was, he wasn't feeling it. And he got provoked and he held himself back and he got provoked again and he held himself back. But by the third provocation, he just couldn't handle it. And he just 
unleashed and the teacher's like, you're out of here, Johnny, mm. back to the principal's office. And Johnny felt as if all of his effort had just been flushed down the drain. Mm. And, I, and I told Johnny, I said, Johnny, let me explain to you something. I said, you ever go to a baseball game, ever play baseball? And he said, of course. I said, you know what a perfect game is? He said, sure. I said, what happens when a pitcher takes a perfect game late into the game? Okay. It's the bottom of the seventh and two outs, or maybe the bottom of the eighth and one out, and then gives up a bloop single. Perfect game is over. What does the crowd do? They stand up and applaud the pitcher, right? And you might ask yourself, why are you applauding the pitcher? You just gave up a hit, you just blew it. And the answer is, of course, of course you just blew it. But everybody knows that a perfect game is rare. Everybody knows that you can be your best and not pitch a perfect game. Hmm. You need a lot of things to come together to pitch a perfect game, right? The fact that you were able to take it so far, that is deserving of applause. Hmm. And that's why the entire stadium will, will get up and applaud you. I said, you know, you were not perfect. No one is. But you went an entire week without going to the principal's office. You haven't done that in a long time. You deserve a standing ovation right now. And you're going to go back to your class and you're going to get back to it. And next time, it'll be even longer before you get sent to the principal's office. But if not, no worries. We're going to keep at it. We're going to get you there. He went back to his class, and I think it was months before he was sent back to the principal's office again. Okay. And it's, you know, and it's those kinds of perspectives that these kids need from us. And we need to be able to look at it that way and guide them that way. And you need to have the right relationship because if you are trained to think of them as trouble, you will see the trouble, you know, and there's so much research on that too, yeah. you know, like we find, you know, you know, confirmation. And so what these kids need from us is to be able to reframe their challenges as success. And that will in turn, to the point that you had mentioned earlier, help us avoid a confirmation bias. Because if we see these kids as trouble, we're going to find the trouble. Mm -hmm. But if we see them as kids, if we see them as kids that are on a journey, that are trying to find their way, and we're there to help them along, only because we're a little bit further along, you know, we're not the great experts necessarily, although it does help, you know, to have that information, to have that wisdom, to have that knowledge. But we can reframe their challenges. We can reframe their failures into growth. Yeah. And that can help us avoid the confirmation bias, you know, where we start to only see the negativity, which only reinforces that they think that we hate them. And yeah. eventually we will. Yeah, you're making me think about a couple of things. Number one, um, I've, I've shared before that when I would interview teachers, and I've had the opportunity to hire several hundred teachers in my career, there are always three standard questions that I would ask. But one of the questions that I asked at every interview which was probably the actual, actually the hardest question that I asked at any interview was, how do you determine if it's been a good day or a bad day, right? And that question causes so much panic and so much reflection and so much wonder. And there are some, and I asked that question because I want to know how do people truly process what, their day and how do they reflect and how do they grow? And there are so many teachers, I think, that fixate on that one moment or those two moments or the end of the day compared to the beginning of the day. And it's it's hard for us to 
look at the recency bias, let alone our own confirmation bias. And we focus on the thing that happened at the end versus the thing that happened at the beginning, or that one moment that we continue to replay in our mind and think about all day long, as opposed to the thousands of other moments throughout the day that have tremendous value attached to them. And it, it's it's nice to know that we, ha we have this tool that we'll start to talk about in just a second, in a little bit more detail, that allows us to start capturing multiple moments throughout the day, gives us an opportunity to truly quantify the unquantifiable and allows us to look at multiple moments so that we can really circumvent all of that. And I, I think it's also important that we, we get ourselves to this place where we're not just preaching and teaching to the amens and getting ourselves defensive before we get reflective, right? I, I, I was guilty of this as a teacher and as an administrator, even now in what I do, you get one or two people in a crowd that start nodding their heads in agreement saying amen to your preaching and you think everybody's tracking with you. And I know there are times where as teachers, they might do the same thing. They have one or two kids that are tracking with them. One or two kids that are always raising their hand and speaking up. One or two kids that are always involved and uh, making that teacher feel like they're, they're reaching everybody because a couple of people are nodding their heads and saying amen. And the reality is there may be a couple of kids that track everything that you say, there may be another 15 or 20 kids that are completely lost, feeling ignored, 15 to 20 kids in the class that have never heard you say their name out loud, have never been given the opportunity to speak up and feel like they have a voice. So we have to get to, to a place where teachers are able to start tracking that. And I hate to use tracking and I hate to use the term data, but tracking that data in their classrooms in a non-evaluative way, in a way that is not in, in designed to make them feel defensive to make them feel like they're doing something wrong, but to give them the tools that they can reflect and say, and how can I do better? You know, what you're about to, to present and, and really share to us with us isn't something for administrators to say, oh, I need to go in and I need to get those teachers that I know aren't in, engaging with kids. That is not the goal. The goal is to give us a, a more reflective lens, a mirror that's not a funhouse mirror showing us the shapes that we want to see, but truly showing us who we are so that we can improve. Because I think it's a powerful practice towards betterment. You're absolutely right. And I love that question that you would ask your prospective hires of how you reflect on a good day, because I think about that a lot, but from the beginning of the day, mm. meaning when you're setting your goal, when I talk to teachers, I'll ask them, when you're about to walk into your classroom, what is your goal for today? Like, what are you going out to accomplish? Now, obviously, there's the lesson plan that you spent a lot of time preparing, right? But you know that kids are going to get in the way of that. What is your goal for today? And I get a similar kind of reaction as you do because we, you know, like I said before, and everybody comes into the field with passion, with excitement, but then like, like the kitchen sink is thrown at them. Like you got to do this, you got to do that. You got to do like a thousand other things. And, and if you're not careful, you can forget why you came here in the first place. You could just get caught up in all that stuff. And because there are so many demands placed on teachers, very often, we do forget why we're here. And when we do, that's when you're really running into trouble because that's when you get the burnout. And, you, and I, don't even, I don't even want to start to talk right. about that. That's, that's just, that's really, really rough. So, you know, the idea of just having a concrete goal of how you're going to measure success for the day, I think that's super important, both the way you phrase the question and also, you know, proactively going in you know, how are we going to measure today? How are we going to know if today was a good day or not? What am I, what do I want to do today? So that at the end of the day, I could say, yes, 
today I hit my, you know, I hit all my goals. I hit all my objectives. I did everything that I set out to do. I did that. I feel good. Hmm. And it would be a bonus if we can document it so that it's provable. So that when people ask us questions, we can respond with confidence that we know what we're doing because we're all, you know, like you said, even the most confident person in the world has an environment where they're insecure. Okay, no one in the world is super confident in anything. And if you challenge the right person, even, even the most confident people, if you challenge them the right way, you can poke holes. We're all vulnerable. We're all, we're all human. So the more we can help teachers be confident that they are, you know, number one, develop goals that are real, that are meaningful, and prove it to themselves. And to anyone else that might need to be, you know, to have this proven to that they are accomplishing the goals that they set out to accomplish. I think that's incredibly empowering. And I think that it's a win-win for everyone. That's so good. So to take this conversation full circle, right? When you, you mentioned when you first began in private practice, social work, you'd meet one-on-one or go to parent-teacher conferences and you'd, you'd understand that as teachers, as educators, there's not this desire to necessarily communicate with parents. We're not necessarily trained to do so. We're also not necessarily trained on how to have powerful, meaningful relationships with kids. We're taught a lot about content. We're taught a lot about standards. We're taught a lot about assessment and grading. But yet we also know that with without relationships, without communicating with parents and stakeholders, all that other stuff is worthless, but yet we're not trained how to do it. And we know that kids oftentimes say, I don't care how you do it. I just want you to see me. I just want you to be in my presence. It, it, it's, it's, it's interesting how we have skipped over all the things that kids are saying that they need and they want. We're skipping over the piece about the relationships and how critical that is in the teaching profession. And we've just jumped to all these other things, these other gimmicks, these other tricks to try to change destinies and change generations when if we would just get down to the basics of form relationships, engage with each kid and help each kid feel seen and just be with them, maybe, maybe we would be able to change the game of school. We would feel more validated. We would feel more successful and we would actually see kids more invested in the process as well. So, so talk to me specifically here, class stars. You're seeing all this. You know all this. The research is there to support all of this. We know that you're you're fascinated with subway surfers, and it reminded me of my old days playing contra up 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 down down left right left right ba select start. So you've got this thing right where you're able to use our thumbs and and do something to track engagement somehow some way. Talk talk to me. What what is actually here's, happening here's works, with class right. stars? So here's how it works. The class stars interface is really simple. You get pictures of every kid in your class. And you can set it up however your class is set up. So the layout is actually a map of your class where everyone is supposed to be for that particular class. Okay. Every kid has a picture with a nice big smile. Because when you look at a kid with a big smile, it's very different than sometimes the kids that are actually showing up that day. So you always want to have a frame of reference with your eyes that are reinforcing you to see that kid in a positive way. Because, you know, the theme of my very first presentation to teachers is that the most valuable skill of a teacher is to be able to see every student in a positive light. Hmm. That was the key. And one great way to do that, it's not the only way, and it better not be the only way because you need a lot of other things because the forces of nature will work against you, is to have smiling pictures of the kids the way they are set out. And 
there are four inputs that we're looking. But typically on the first presentation, I only talk about two of them. The first one is positive feedback. And it's not earned positive feedback. It's entitled positive feedback. It's not that the child has to do something to earn your praise. They deserve to be acknowledged and seen. So you want to make sure that you're acknowledging kids, you're seeing kids. And when you do that, you swipe up on the kid's picture. Just like that. It takes less than a second. The kid's right there. And you just swipe up on the picture. Hmm. And when you swipe up on that kid, you're recording that you had a positive interaction with them. It's time-stamped. Every record in class stars is time-stamped automatically. So we can go back and look at the data and see when things are happening. The time context provides tremendous insight. And then next to the kid's picture, there is this little green meter in a semicircle that goes around half of the kid's face that goes up one notch. And every time you swipe up on a kid, that little green meter goes up another notch, except mm. that the green meter is only measuring the last two days of positive interactions. Mm. So as you're interacting in a positive way, obviously, and again, unearned entitlement, they deserve to have this feedback. You're just ticking off these kids as you're going and you see the kids that you're missing because those kids have no green in their two-day meter. Mm. And every day you come in and you can identify the kids that have the least green in their meter and you prioritize those kids. And you can prioritize two or three kids in the morning, two hours later, prioritize two or three other kids. And it just helps you make sure that you're getting to everybody completely inclusive. So good. So I, the, the example that I'm going, because I always have to, to come up with a metaphor or something to, to help me equate to this. This is, it's almost the, the Fitbit or the Apple watch for your classroom, right? Where yes. everybody is tracking their circles and their rings and their Apple health. And you know that how many times you got to stand up throughout the day and how many steps you've got to take. And that data, it's not reported to your doctor. So your doctor can call you on the phone and scold you. You look at it and say, Ooh, I have to do something else. I have to be more active today. This is in essence, you're looking at the relational health of your classroom by looking at the interactions and trying to track your rings, trying to track your circles and trying to get yes. as much green as you can with as many kids as you can. Yes, absolutely. Very cool. That's step one. Okay. Now we have two modes to get started. We have what we call single swipe mode, which is just the single swipe. You just swipe up and it's just a simple gesture. The full function mode adds another layer of effort. It pops up a wheel, a menu that has a bunch of different options of different types of positive interactions that you may have had with the kid. And there's value to that because it's more specific data, but it's also an extra layer of effort. Mm -hmm. So for teachers that are starting, they can have it on single swipe mode. They can always leave it on single swipe mode. They just sacrifice you know, that extra layer of data. We leave that up to you how you want to use it. The second step is recording misbehaviors. And you do that by swiping down on a child. And again, on single swipe, when you swipe down, that's all you do is you just swipe down and you've recorded at a specific time. Again, everything is timestamped. This child had this, you know, misbehavior. On full function mode, you get a wheel with the common misbehaviors that happen in a classroom, you know, unprepared, talking, disruptive, you know, very basic general stuff. And we do have ways of customizing that as well. Mm -hmm. So if a particular school or district has a specific language that they're working around, we will work with them to, to customize that at that level. And this way you have a very simple way of making sure you're getting to everybody. Now this does not have a meter that shows you how many misbehaviors a child had during the day because we don't need to reinforce misbehavior. That is already 
enough reinforced in our minds naturally. But what we do want to know is going back to the Gottman research, the ratio mm. of positive interactions to misbehaviors. Mm -hmm. So for that, every child's picture has a circle around it, a complete circle mm -hmm. that in the beginning is gray, has no color. The first swipe up that you give will turn it orange. After you've done another couple of swipes, it'll turn yellow. And that border color will reflect the ratio of the upswipes to the downswipes. Mm. Because misbehaviors are actually a cry for help. Yeah. So instead of withholding a privilege, the appropriate response to a misbehavior is you need more support. Mm -hmm. You need me to be more positive with you. Number one, because that's what you're telling me you need. And number two, because I want to maintain and build a positive ratio so, I, so that I don't have to fake it till I make it. Yes. So that I see Alphabet instead of the Wicked Witch of the West. Yes. Right? I mean, so and, good. And as you're interacting with them, you know, we break it down into two tiers. You know, tier one is everybody's got to have some positive feedback every day. Everybody's got to have some of it. The second thing is to have the ratios to make sure the tier two kids are the kids that are struggling. They're reaching out for help. And we want to make sure that they're seen adequately, that they're getting extra support. And that's mm -hmm. the tier two. I just need to pause for one second. No, you're good because at my door. Yeah, you're good. We got. So as I'm hearing all of this stuff on the, on the, the classroom level, the individual teacher interface level, my mind, my administrative hat is already coming on and I'm starting to think, well, this is amazing. Again, not in the evaluative sense, but I'm thinking this would be amazing data to bring to like a PLC or a grade level or department meeting at the secondary level. When we're saying that kid isn't work, uh, doesn't do anything in my class. Well, that kid has an amazing relationship in my class. And then we can pull this kind of stuff out to actually compare. Oh, well, how many interactions are you having with that kid? When are you having those? What kinds of differences are we seeing? I'm thinking through the special education lens as well for kids that might have behavior plans or if there's a behavior coach in a building to be able to, to access and see trend data to see when these positive interactions are taking place, how many are taking place, which teachers tend to have the most positive interactions with those kids or that kid to be able to determine schedules. But also just on that individual teacher level for individual teachers to, again, track their relational health in their classroom, to look at their own little personal Fitbit to say is every single kid getting positive interactions for me? Or am I just giving them all a high five at the door and every single kid at the beginning of every hour is getting that positive interaction and then I just teach? Or am I seeing it happening holistically around the classroom? I just This is just such a powerful data set that you can collect, which is, it's good to collect the data, but if it doesn't lead to change or doesn't lead us to do something with it, it's just more data that we're collecting for for no good reason. So my mind is already going into the implementation phase of this. And I just think there's so much power behind the stuff that we're collecting. So cool. Yeah. The, the, the data needs to be meaningful. Yeah. You know, I think, I think we need to start attaching the word meaningful to the word data every time we use it because and there was so much meaningless data and we yeah. just get caught up in it because it's data, but if it's not meaningful, what are we doing with it? And, and meaningful and actionable. Take it and yes. do something with it. I mean, if you're just doing it to process it and analyze it, do something with it. I think that's so yes. good. And I think even, even through the lens of this podcast, this podcast is data. You know, this podcast is, it's information that people are getting and they're they're hearing this and thinking, okay, it's, it's another cool product by an amazingly smart guy that's talking about some very cool authors and some books that I've read before. 
but this this has to be actionable on their part as well. They have to be able to take action and say, "Ooh, I want to learn more. This is something that I could use." And in the show notes, I've got access to all the things and all the places and all the websites. But for some people, that's too much of an action step to ask them to scroll down. So, how can people get in touch with you and Class Stars and and find out more about this? Well, they could definitely check out our website, ClassStars.com, and Class Stars is spelled with two S's in the middle. So it's C. It's one word: C L A S S T A R S dot com. Uh, there, there's a form you can fill out to contact me, but I'll give you my email address and you can email me directly and we can set up a demo with your school and find a phase one package that works for you. So my email address is Moshe at classstars.com. It's as simple as that. And shoot me an email. We're happy to talk with teachers. We're talking with teachers and school leaders across the world all the time. So we're happy to bring on some more. And that's just the best way to get started. And there's so many different ways that this can be used. I mean, we've spoken about some of them here, but, you know, again, going to the invisible progress idea, you know, you're collecting behavioral data that you can watch change week over week. You can see if interventions are working or not. You know, I know I speak to teachers and I ask them, how long does it take to know typically in your school when you implement an intervention, how do you know if it's working or not? How long does that take? And it could take weeks. And I'm like, well, you're, you're missing out because class stars brings it down to days. Like you'll know in a couple of days, like if the behavior patterns are not changing, you'll see that immediately because we have charts that plot the behavior along timelines. You can see it. You can see it in, in, in full color, you know, in technicolor, like they used to say, you know, when, when that was a thing. Oh, it's so good. So good. If, if you're listening to this right now, I'm going to challenge you. Number one self-reflect figure out do you have room to grow in this and the answer is yes you do because we all do we could all benefit from a reflective lens to say how much human interaction am i giving each you know there's a difference between reaching each and every if you want to reach every you've got to reach each so this is a great way for you to reflect on am i really reaching each and am i reaching each in an equitable way not just an equal way but an equitable way giving each kid what they need in the time and the fashion that they need it class stars is is there to help you reflect on this to help you collect the data in a very real way in a personal way where you are in control of the swipes up and the swipes down so so i would say reach out reach out to Moshe, reach out to class stars reach out to all of the the guys that are in there doing all this magic and see if they can come up with a customizable package for you that works for you your class your school or your system which it's always a, a pleasure hanging out with you you are brilliant you talk the talk you speak in a way that I can relate to. You always make me reflect. And I'm hoping and I'm praying and, I, and I'm confident that the listeners got some amazing value out of this as well. So thank you so much for your time. I hope so. I hope so. And thank you, Dave. It's always a pleasure talking with you too. Thanks for bringing me on here and can't wait to talk to you next time. Did you enjoy this episode? I hope so. If you did, Feel free to keep listening by subscribing right now to the Lasting Learning Podcast and get new episodes as soon as they're released. Interested in knowing more about me, Dave Schmidt? Well, feel free to find out what makes me tick by reading one of my books, Bold Humility, or It's Like Riding a Bike. Feel free to check them both out on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or directly on my website, schmidt.net. That's S-C-H-M-I-T-T-O-U.net.